morning. It is Wednesday, April 29th, and this is Community Pulse, your local report on the coronavirus outbreak in mid-Missouri. You can catch Community Pulse every weekday morning at 9 a.m. on KOPN, and all episodes can be found online at kopn.org and on our Facebook page. Today on Community Pulse, we'll be discussing the racial disparities in the coronavirus pandemic and how the virus is disproportionately affecting certain segments of the population. While in theory viruses are blind to borders of race and class, in practice, this virus behaves like many others, affecting the most vulnerable in society first and often the hardest. What the vulnerable portion of society looks like can vary from place to place, but what the data is revealing as this pandemic unfolds is that your likelihood of being affected by this virus is highly intersected with race and poverty. Joining me this morning to explore this topic is Dr. Elizabeth Olliman, local family physician and host of Your Health Matters, which airs tonight and every Wednesday at 6 p.m. on KOPN. And our guest this morning is Tracy wilson Camp, community activist and president of the group Race Matters Friends. Good morning, Tracy and Elizabeth. Good morning. Thank you so much for joining us today to discuss this topic. Thank you for having me. Of course. So I want to just run through the numbers very quickly because I know that Tracy's going to have a lot of things to say that I want to hear and I know that listeners want to hear as well. Globally, we've um, gotten to 3.2 million cases, 219,000 deaths, and 975,000 people have survived and are um, walking through a variable recovery. In the United States, we're at 1.036 million uh, 59,000 deaths, 142,000 recovered. In Missouri, we've got 7,436 cases with 336 deaths. In Boone County, we're now up to 99 cases with one death. Cole County's up to 50 cases with one death. Montauk County up to 41. And Saline County, 177. And I'm going to expect both of those numbers to increase a little bit. Um, in part due to increased testing on the part of the state. The state is, um, we're finally having the capacity and the health department is stepping up to try to increase uh, testing in those two counties where there are there is a disproportionate number of um, cases and really um, undermining uh, the idea that somehow this was only going to happen in rural communities, I mean in urban places and that rural folks were going to be protected. So with that said, Let's talk about the other disparities. Tracy, welcome so much for, um, uh, thank you so much for being with us. And let's talk about how race and COVID-19 are revealing issues in our culture. Okay. Where do you want to start? (laughs) Well, I don't know. It's a huge topic. We only have a little bit of time. But I'd love for you to just be clear about what your understanding is about why it is that the is it still a hundred percent of the deaths in St. Louis are um, of African American folks? So I, I would like to flip it around a little bit so Great. that um, we are not um, uh, othering um, people of color. Color, and that's not an accusation. I'm just trying to change the conversation a little bit. I so knew I, you would. I knew like, you would do that for me. Thank you. <laughs> I lay the conver- I, I'm going to say that this is about whiteness. And um, it's best discussed in Jonathan Metzl's book, uh, Dying of Whiteness, how white racial resentment is killing America's heartland. Um, uh, I think that what COVID shows is how unwell our healthcare system is for people who don't have access. And that would be poor whites. It would be people in rural communities that don't have good access to physicians and services. 
And so their health um, uh, in general is not very good, which makes you um, vulnerable, right, um, to um, infections and disease. Um, I will say for myself, I'm very privileged. I'm what they call a severe allergic asthmatic. I actually take biotech injections, and I'm very fortunate. I have insurance. Um, um, I'm one of those people that's super vulnerable because I have a, a chronic illness, but I'm in good health because I have access to health care. Right. I have access to health care. And so historically, we have uh, people who have money um, and access to uh, care, such as uh, privileged middle class and, and white people. Most everybody else has been for a long time excluded from the system, if not structurally excluded, excluded because practitioners have issues treating people that are not, don't look like them. Right. So um, our society's views of people that don't look like them or not from the same class from them are deeply embedded in how our you know, institutional systems work, and they wreak havoc on people that have been historically excluded from every system, right? Housing, right. healthcare, education, and so those things are all colliding at once in a disaster like we have with this pandemic, and um, it shows in the outcomes. And Missouri is unique. What we're going to see, I think, is more numbers going up in rural communities because those are areas um, and people who have been excluded. Right. Yeah. Um, I love what you've said about that, that um, healthcare practitioners have difficulty not uh, providing good care to people who don't look and act like them. I think that many uh, practitioners understand that their practices begin to look a lot like them politically, um, uh, age-wise, gender, and race. And um, I think that we have not worked hard enough to try to uh, do two things. One is to have our practices be more diverse, but also to have our colleagues be more diverse so that every person can find a healthcare practitioner that is like them, close to them. So and, I want to yeah. Yeah. I want to say something about um, representation and, and diversity. I, I mean, um, I've experienced in Columbia going to doctors, and it's visible, right, that when they see me that they're not a, I'm not a patient that they want. Um, I once saw a physician who could barely look me in the eye, and his office was just covered with all this conservative regalia. I'm surprised he didn't have a Confederate flag hanging in there. Mm -hmm. um, but he didn't know what race I was when I signed up to, to go there. So um, you can have uh, a physician who is of your color um, and still be um, culturally incompetent. They can have issues yes. with you because of your gender, and they can have issues with you because of your class, or it could be your ethnicity or your cultural practices. The problem is, is that um, like um, medicine, like policing, and like education, People are, don't have a lot of experience walking in other worlds besides their own and being comfortable. So I would say that our track record of trying to get people to understand diversity has failed because most people have very limited experience um, being intimately involved. And I'm not talking about sex. I'm talking about having friendship and talking to people who have different lived experiences than they do, so that at least they have some sensitivity to um, 
many other types of lived experiences. Do you know what I'm saying? Yes. So I think that can't be taught. That has to be learned. And I think that healthcare practitioners, police officers, educators need to do more on their own. This is a self-learning journey to develop the capacity to be in cultures and uh, people beyond their own. That's what our society struggles the most with, and that is the reason that our policies reflect all of these structural barriers, because those ideologies are embedded in our social structures, um, and they come out in our, our policies, our, the denial and the difficulty that the dominant culture has with everyone who's not like them. Right, so let, I would love to give you an opportunity to dispel some myths and some of the conversations that are being had um, in the media about why we're seeing this disparity. I mean, first we want to just be clear that um, uh, white folks are doing, white people are doing better in um, their in responses to COVID-19. So you're just going to, as you said, be better off if you have some privilege. Um, and being white is one of those ways of doing privilege, having privilege. So when we see dis- racial disparities and outcomes for COVID-19, there are people who say, well, it has to do with, the, it has to do with personal choices. So I want to hear, uh, please, please help us out. Respond to that, please. So that's a big topic of discussion, and that is also part of the dominant cultural world worldview that um, is binaries. It's either this or that. Right. And also a belief that if something bad happens to you, it's your fault. Right. Um, and not taking into consideration um, history. Earlier this morning, I posted a link to Kimberly Crenshaw's show on called Intersectionality Matters, and so they're talking about the ways that COVID is laying bare how, how poor our, our medical system is. And if you understand the history of this country, you will understand that people of color have long been excluded from the healthcare system, but also been the guinea pigs for science, right? So right. there's a lot of issues of, of, of trust. I will also say that if you are a white um, working class uh, person, you experience similar kinds of discrimination because a lot of people in the dominant culture have major issues with poor white people, right? Yes. So those are things that we don't um, talk about, but they're really important because they're all operating at the same time. So if I'm a really privileged white doctor and someone comes in who's poor and I have that kind of ideology that well, you're poor because if you didn't pull yourself up by that bootstrap that you don't have or the boot that you don't have, how well am I going to treat that patient, right? Or how well am I going to, as a police officer, how well am I going to treat this person um, that's unsheltered? So it has a lot to do with how we're socialized to view people who are not um, like us. And any kind of decent um, historical understanding will help people understand that we are living, the social context we live in has been built up for 300 years, um, first in slavery and then in the afterlife of slavery and then in the aftermath of the Civil War and the aftermath of the Civil Rights Movement. It is the underbelly of everything the dominant culture denies wrapped in a burrito, right? So. Right. So this is not just about um, the differences in uh, population-based uses of tobacco and alcohol. Exactly. Right. 
Um, and then there's also the issues of things like um, uh, the uh, environmental racism, where uh, people with less privilege, whether they're white or black, um, tend to live in, might be more more likely to live in areas with poor air quality. Right. So I want to I want to mention two more uh, a couple of references I mentioned Jonathan Muckle earlier, but Dorothy Roberts' book Killing the Black Body is great. It has a great historical narrative in terms of how black people, black bodies have been treated historically. And then the other one is, and I just it just left me. Oh, it's Richard Rothstein's um, The Color of Law, talking about housing, right, and the way that the federal government um, was the what you call it mainliner for people, um, black people being excluded from housing and the ghettoization of everybody who wasn't white. And even even white people were ghettoized, the Irish, the Italian, everybody who didn't fit this sort of picture of who the dominant culture deemed viable um, in that area. But black people, indigenous people, um, now are, are the people that we try to tarnish a lot are people from Mexico or anybody that is Mexican, Hispanic, or Latino descent. Um, we tar and feather um, trans people. So, um, you know, we the dominant culture has a lot of issues with people, as I said before, that don't look like them, but it's really, really important to understand how history drives the current moment. Right, and so once you put all those groups together, they're, we're really um, the majority of people are not part of the dominant culture. Yeah, and that's the problem. <laughs> right, right. And and it seems to me that often what we have is these groups, um, some people within these groups, some of them leadership, trying to claw themselves their way into dominant culture. And what I'm hearing you saying is that, no, we have a lot more in common among the people who've been excluded from this privilege, um, and that if we'll claim our majority, we might be able to get somewhere faster. Or am I well, mishearing you? So I would like to not use uh, uh, terms like majority. What I would say okay, is great. that I would say is the demographics are have shifted tremendously, and there is a pocket of people, particularly white men, I would say, who are afraid that their privilege is under threat. And I would say you'd be right. right. Um, um, and that's driving this politics of white grievance. Mm-hmm. And so at the end of the day, people have to ask themselves, you know, in what ways am I blind um, to the ways that structural inequality um, creates problems in my own backyard, right? Like, so we have an issue of, of unsheltered people in our, in our town. Yeah. Um, the chronically unsheltered, the small, it's a small group, actually. It's not the hundreds and hundreds that Mike Trapp says. But to me, it is a demonstration of how whiteness has evaded and denied the ways that mental illness, poverty, lack of access to resources, lack of funding, how all of these issues have collided to harm a particular group of people, right? So right. Race, is a different, race and class operate differently in, in our community in terms of the unsheltered, but at the end of the day, it's the dominant culture, and I would say white men, who don't want to deal with this issue, and they kick the can with it on all kinds of ways, and so in a crisis, we're stuck with having nothing. Right. And then when, we, when people try to patch together a solution in a crisis, it gets criticized for not being as well thought out or as um, comprehensive as it could be had we well, not I, tried right. to develop it in the midst of a crisis. 
right? So I'm going to criticize Mike, and I think he should step down from his job because I just got a bunch of records um, that show me that there's a, a major disaster going on inside City Hall. And I don't buy the analogy that something is better than nothing. And I don't think um, just trying um, to do something without being attentive to um, very real parameters in a pandemic is good for anybody. So what we've done is we've painted ourselves into a box because we've avoided something. And then we also allow people to act irresponsibly and we excuse it because we have nothing in place. This is how whiteness works. It makes excuses for the um, undefensible and indefensible. And I don't accept that because people can be harmed in that. Um, mutual aid societies and Black Panthers and people who did this kind of work um, had a love ethic and it was a do no harm ethic. And so the other part of, our, of dealing with our system is to learn to practice a do no harm ethic, not a it's better than nothing or I tried. Those don't work. Right, yeah. And that is challenging, and it's not, there's not an easy path through that. Exactly. And that's what makes um, the, a lot of these issues hard, because people think that there's a, I call it 7-Eleven, you know, that's a convenience store that's big in California, maybe not here. But we are very much a convenience culture, so we think we can throw a little money at it and turn our heads away, and it's, and it's gone. That's a very privileged view. Right. Um, for people who fall into that intersection um, where there's mental illness, homelessness, poverty, um, there's not a easy solution for that. It does mean, since our budgets will be a discussion soon, that we need to ask ourselves, how much does it mean to us for our government, especially our health and human services, to function at a different level? Not at a bare minimum as it would in 1980, but what does it need to practice and be effective in 2020 and beyond? That's the question that we are really faced with, that we've kicked the can on. So do you, I know this is a privileged, um, uh, silly question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Do you have some concrete steps for people who are thinking, oh, I really care about this issue, I realize I'm uh, ignorant, I could, uh, like, how? what are, we're all trapped in our homes, those of us who are privileged to be able to be home, what are some um, steps that people can take? So um, I posted a link to um, Intersectionally Matters pod podcast this morning. I think a lot of this is um, self-learning and gotcha. um, uh, on your own. And I also think that a lot of people need to do their genealogy and understand how their ancestors got here to understand that Every group that's come to this country has been forced to assimilate into these dominant culture values, but they didn't come here that way. Right. They didn't come here packaged that way. And in many respect, respects, the dominant culture itself is harmed by not having an identity other than being white, right? Yeah. And um, I think that that's probably the most, the biggest threat to our society is not having an understanding of our capacity as humans and what it means actually to really be free and to, to live in a liberal society or a conservative society, if you want to call it that, where we value human beings and developing a human infrastructure that supports everyone. And it's not about what color you are or what class you are. Um, I'll give you a great example. They just gave everyone a 10% cut at NU. 
I think that's outrageous. A 10% cut for Munchoy and a 10% cut for the person at the bottom of the pool are not the same. Right. People that are at the top of the food chain really need to take responsibility for the privileges that they have and learn how to leverage their privileges for a more equitable society. And that's a sacrifice. That's a huge personal sacrifice. Tracy, I'm sorry to say that we're out of time this morning. Thank you so much for being willing to join us. Uh, Tracy wilson Camp, president of Race Matters Friends. She can be found on Facebook. We will list all of her references on the KOPN page. And uh, Tracy has this this morning agreed to be my guest on Your Health Matters. We'll be recording that and uh, letting people know how they can find that. All right. Well, thank, thank you so much for joining us both. Thanks. Bye. Thank you. All right, and that's it for today's edition of Community Pulse. Once again, you can catch Community Pulse every weekday morning at 9 a.m. here on KOPN, and we'll be posting this episode and all episodes online at kopn.org and on our Facebook page. Our guest this morning was Tracy wilson Camp, community activist and president of group Race Matters Friends, and, of course, Dr. Elizabeth Alleman, local family physician and host of Your Health Matters. Please stay tuned to your community radio station, KOPN Columbia. We've got a lot of great programming coming up for you this morning and throughout the day. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. with more Community Pulse.